I'm Stefan Siddig, and welcome to American Theatre Artists Online, where we talk with leading contemporary figures in American theatre. If you've been enjoying the American Theatre Artists Online podcast, I urge you to consider donating to help the artists who produce the theatre that we all love so much. The Actors Fund provides assistance to artists to cover basic living expenses, such as food, essential medications, utilities, and more. If you love and enjoy theater, please consider donating to the Actors Fund today. Just go to actorsfund.org and press donate. My guest today is Rashad V. Chambers, an award-winning producer, talent manager, and lawyer. A licensed attorney in New York and Connecticut, Rashad is the founder and president of Esquire Entertainment. His Broadway producing credits include American Son, Ain't Too Proud, The Life and Times of the Temptations, Betrayal, The Inheritance, and Caroline or Change. Rashad has also produced the world premiere of It Happened in Key West in London and Little Girl Blue, the Nina Simone musical in association with Goodspeed musicals. He has also produced both feature films and shorts. Rashad attended Morehouse College where he graduated magna cum laude with a BA in business administration. He also earned his JD and MBA degrees from the Ohio State University. Rashad is a board member of On Broadway Performing Arts Training Program and Houses on the Moon Theater Company. Hi, Rashad. Hi, how are you? Good. Thank you so much for being on American Theater Artists Online. We really like to talk to a variety of different people in the theater and producers are hard to come by. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for having me. Yes, I think you guys are really busy producing all this wonderful theater that we see. And so you don't always have a lot of time to talk about what you're doing. Rather, you're doing it and getting it done. You have produced some um, amazing, you have some amazing production credits, including American Son, Ain't Too Proud, The Life and Times of the Temptations, uh, Betrayal, the Tony Award winning The Inheritance, and Caroline or Change. This is quite a variety of uh, plays, musicals. Um, Tell us a bit about the life of a producer. I think people listening probably want to know, um, what do you do exactly? And what is your role in getting these productions onto the stage? It ebbs and flows. Um, <laughs> I like to think of a producer as either a CEO of a company or a project manager, depending on what the task is at hand. Um, but it's, it's interesting, you know, for those shows, my primary responsibility was raising money um you know the lead producers of a show will enlist co-producers which is what i was for each of the five shows you mentioned and they will assign them a particular slot um and they are responsible for raising money for the production and for other projects that i work on where where i'm the lead producer there's a lot more developmental duties that go go into the job including working with the writers and the directors and designers and, and casting and managing budgets. So there are so many different facets of a musical that um, happens behind the scenes in order to bring the magic of live theater to life. 
Mm, that's that that's very clear and I appreciate your giving us that description. So when you said you part of your responsibility or one of your major responsibilities is to uh raise money. Um I I know how expensive Broadway can be and you've worked uh, now on uh, several shows. Uh even plays are very expensive to produce these days. Um can you tell the the people listening in a bit about how I mean how difficult is it uh, how expensive and how difficult can it be? Uh, to raise money for some of these productions? It depends on the show, to, to be honest, but it is, it, most shows are expensive and even plays can be, you know, $4 million to produce mm-hmm. versus the musical that can be 15 or $16 million. Mm-hmm. And most, most shows require um, a producer or co-producer to get above the title billing to raise a minimum of $250,000, which means you have to go out to investors and they are usually asked to invest a minimum of $25,000 for plays or $50,000 for musicals in order to be able to invest in the show. Sometimes there are exceptions. They take, you know, half units or or smaller portions, Mm -hmm. but usually the minimum is $25,000. And then you have some people who are well off who, can afford to invest $250,000 and then they may also uh, get a co-producer billing as in addition to being an investor. Well, those of us that enjoy and love theater are appreciative of those people that are willing to give of their money to, um, to sponsor, to, 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 to help support uh, theater in all its forms because we, um, we want to see the theater and it's real people. I don't think understand how labor intensive theater can be and how expensive it can be to put on a show. So thank you for sharing those numbers. I mean, people, people, I don't think grasp or understand. And then when um, they look at ticket prices, they often uh, balk at the ticket prices and say, this is really expensive. And and I'm always on the other side defending and saying, you know, you've paid $100, which is, you know, a lot of money for you. And I get it. And it is for most people. But if you think about all the money required to get these shows moving, right? Is that, is that, is that a right perception that I have? Or am I wrong? You're right. It's very expensive especially if you have a family, but it does take a lot in order for a show to be, to recoup and become profitable. And remember only 20% of shows on Broadway are successful. Mm -hmm. And by successful, that means they made their money back and made at least $1. So that means 80% of shows are not profitable. So it's really hard to lower ticket prices, you know, than what they are even though many shows have discounts and other ticket subsidies, but the baseline is needed in order to make the weekly running costs. Otherwise, shows are running at a loss and then they have to close. Yeah, I think that's a difference that some people don't understand. The for-profit theater versus some of the regional theaters around the country or other theaters that are not-for-profit or smaller theaters that perhaps can keep shows, you know, they do a shorter run. But really the essence of Broadway, right, is you have to make money. If you're not making money on the show, if you're losing money week after week after week and you're not getting a a recoup on your investment, then a show's going to close, right? It's that that's, that's correct. Yeah. So I think that's something people don't. So tell us a bit. You have worked on all sorts of 
shows, it seems, uh, work off-Broadway or Fringe or regional. Uh, there's a lot of difference. So tell us a bit about the difference between producing a, broad, a big Broadway show versus an off-Broadway or Fringe or regional, or also I know you've done film and, and short films and, and others. What are some of the nuanced differences that, that people might not know about? Well, they're all very similar, just different budgets, but uh, the developmental phases, I think, are a bit different. So I'm working on a musical about Nina Simone right now that I'm producing off-Broadway after the new year, and I've been working on it for the last year and a half. During COVID, it was mostly just development. So working with the writer and director to enhance the script as much as possible and really make sure that we're telling the best story that we can tell. And then we had a wonderful opportunity to do a developmental production of it at Goodspeed in Connecticut back in August. And that was an amazing experience because we really just got to test out some new material with a new demographic and really get to the heart of the storytelling. So that was really thrilling. And that's what I love as a producer and specifically as a creative producer is really being able to work on all creative aspects of a show. Whereas on Broadway, once I raise the money, I really don't have to do anything else. I am invited to go to marketing meetings and things of that nature, which I do because I really enjoy the learning and I want to understand the different facets of how to market a show, how does the advertising work, what are some press initiatives that we're doing. But each production is like its own little mini corporation, and you as a producer have to figure out what's the best strategy to get eyes on it and to get as many butts in the seats as possible. And it's your job to really work with your team to figure out what's going to be best for your show. And, you know, having now worked on five Broadway shows, I've seen the leaders of those productions handle things in a, in a different way. You know, how you're, how you're marketing a show like American Sun, which is a, a play with a star that had just come off of a hit TV series, is very different than something like Ain't Too Proud, which is a big budget musical. So it really comes down to the vision and, and what's needed for each particular production. Are there specific projects that you tend to gravitate towards or do you like to take the projects just for, you know, the challenge? So, um, you know, some of the themes that are woven in in some of the shows that especially that you've done on Broadway, there's a theme, I think, related to the black experience in America, it seems to me, uh, through most of them, not all, but... Um, and also in this Nina Simone musical, I assume as well that you're working on. Um, so is that something that's near and dear to you? Is that why? Or does it just happen to be that way? Or I would say a combination. First and foremost, I just like good art. Mm -hmm. So how it speaks to me determines how likely I am to get on board with it. Mm -hmm. And then from there, it's really about relationships and whether I think it has commercial viability and whether it speaks to sort of my own artistic integrity. So it really just depends for me, but I, I like everything. I have a kind of eclectic taste mm -hmm. in terms of my love for both musicals and plays, drama and comedy. So it's really about, you know, the subject matter, how it speaks to me and also who's working on it. That's great. Um, so now I wanted to, take a moment and step back because how, how did you get involved in, in this aspect of theater? Because I'm sure, you know, uh, 
how did you get your start? Because most people don't start, you know, you're not an eight-year-old going, okay, I want to produce shows on Broadway. I want to be a produce, theater producer. Most kids don't approach theater that way. They're, you know, they're on stage first. Or did, how, did, how, how did you first encounter theater in your life and how did you come to, to where you are with what you're doing now? Yes, I was introduced to theater at a fairly young age, probably around eight, like you just mentioned, mm. because my cousin is an actress and I really just fell in love with seeing shows because I was experiencing you know, exposed to so much of it as, as a child. And it wasn't until probably high school or college that I really started to understand more about productions. And I love the idea of creating and taking something from page to stage. So that was really how I got interested in theater. I would come to New York and see Broadway shows and I would read the programs and just try to get an understanding of what producers did. So I just started researching and I thought it would be a good blend of all the things that I loved and that I could really piece together a great career using sort of all of my skills, all of my training and education to do something that I was passionate about. And so I really just set the wheels in motion in college, I was a business major, then I went to law school, and all throughout that time, I was just studying theater as a hobby, and then once I moved to New York, I really started networking and just trying to understand how to get my foot in the door, how to get access to material, and really learn how to actually produce and take it from an idea in my mind to actually doing it. Wow. So you did, sounds like you did always kind of understand your role or no, so you weren't on stage or you weren't, um, you know, part of the stage crew or directing, you weren't interested in the creative part of it in so much as being in it. You wanted to help make it happen. Was that it? Yeah, that's fairly accurate. I mean, I was in shows in high school and a little bit in college just for fun, but I never had the heart to pursue it professionally. Hmm. I wanted to be a lawyer since I was 13. So really most of my childhood and college was about achieving that goal. But I had a creative side that really started off as a hobby when I was in college and then sort of transitioned into something professional as I was finishing law school and planning my move to New York. So it's a combination of those things, really just just loving the environment and, and loving the idea of it, but then figuring out the path to make it happen. I think it's always fascinating when people are involved with theater and have a passion for theater, but they also have other passions, they have other interests like business administration, or there's so few of uh, 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 people like that that you can find with a combination of law and MBA and, you know, a business and theater. We need those people so much because um, theater is a business and theater in so many ways needs um, people from all walks of life so that we can, you know, if everyone's a creative type that's in the room having ideas only and not getting stuff done, nothing gets done. <laughs> That is correct. I constantly remind people it's called show business. The business side, right. Same with math and science. I always find um, I love it when I can work with a theater person who understands budgets or who understands 
um, the business aspect as well. That's wonderful. So did you have a mentor in terms of, of producing? Was this something? So talk a bit about your first producing experience, if you can, or, so, or when you were starting to, to move into really, in your mind, seriously producing and getting involved. And I know you explained early on in the podcast, there's two separate things, uh, pr- uh, uh, kind of producing when you are really, you know, daily getting stuff, you know, to the to the production and making it happen. And then there's the fundraising, the money, the money raising aspect. So which either one, whatever you want to talk about, but did you have a mentor or someone who helped you um, understand this aspect of the business or did you figure it out on your own? I did my first show before I had a mentor, but then I <laughs> I was very, very fortunate to have two wonderful mentors that, that helped nurture me and just helped me understand how to navigate this business. Um, so I did my first show in early 2007. I saw that a now friend was directing... Michael John Lacuse's The Wild Party for his thesis at Columbia University. He was mm-hmm. getting his MFA in directing. Okay. And I just said I love that show, and I'm a lawyer, and I want to be a producer, and let me just figure out how to how to do this. And so I wrote him, and we met and hit it off, and so I ended up working on the show. And that was the first time that I had ever produced anything, mm. and it was such an amazing experience because – Again, it just went from an idea in my head to actually doing it, being able to work with a director, being able to sit in design meetings, talk about the budget, help raise a little bit of money, and just really be a part of an amazing show. And then from there, I just kept developing new work. I would option plays, which you know gave me the exclusive right to work on a, a play or musical for a year and try to you know get those to the next level. And I spent about 10 or 11 years just doing new work before getting an opportunity to produce on Broadway. Wow. And so did, was there anything... Uh, and so you talked a bit about the practical aspects and throwing yourself in the deep end there, uh, which I think is great. Um, learning, you know, doing is learning. Um, but did, was there anything that you learned specifically from the mentors that you sort of went, oh, that you didn't realize it was going to be like? Was there was there a misconception you had about it and then you learned when you were doing it or from the mentors or something? Not really. It all was very organic. Mm. And they just they just would take their time and meet with me and and just answer questions that I had but no I mean I wasn't sort of mystified by it I just I just thought okay here here's an opportunity to learn and just get a real understanding of what the work entails so I, I can't remember anything specific about you know what we what we talked about but it was just really just a deeper understanding of just just doing it and how to do it well and just to be mindful of the journey mm-hmm. how you work with people how you treat people that's probably one of the biggest lessons i learned was just to to be a good person mm-hmm. you know there are there are many many times when the work is stressful and you know things are going wrong but people are going to remember how you treated them. And so I've always tried to navigate this business with as much grace as I could muster just because everybody is walking into a room with different issues or different things in our mind that we have no idea about. Mm -hmm. And, and really just trying to, to 
foster a great environment because it's a very vulnerable thing to create. And we, we ask a lot of actors and writers and other creative types without always making sure that they have a safe space to really flourish. So that's what I've tried to do. And that's uh, one thing that I've taken away from, from my mentors who I'm so blessed to still have in my life. Oh, that's great. So, you know, let's talk a bit about some of these shows on Broadway that you have produced. And, and, and they're, they're so big in the sense that they were very um, in the spotlight. They are shows, all of them, that I think have had a lot of attention on them for one way or one reason or another. Um, uh, okay, let's start with the big one as far as, as, as um, recognition, perhaps. The, the Tony Award winning The Inheritance a four-time Tony Award winning, if I recall. So, I mean, what does it feel like to, on Tony night, to just know that all this hard work and all the time that you spent on this particular piece that may not have been, you know, I know it was it was big in London first, but um, how did how did it feel on Tony night to, to have, to hear that play being called out? It was a dream come true, to be honest. Um, but at the same time, it was a little bittersweet because theater had been shut down for mm. 16 months at that point. So it was crazy that the show had been closed so long, but then so joyous that the theater community remembered it. Mm. So in that regard, you know, winning a Tony is something that I think many young people dream of. So to achieve achieve that goal is something that will always be near and dear to my heart and really, um, really special. But I have to say of the five, Ain't Too Proud is really the big one because it's the one that really changed my career in terms of trajectory and opportunities. And it's the one that sort of the big whammy in terms of being a hit show and um, getting rave reviews and being a New York Times critics pick and getting 12, 20 nominations and thankfully back up and running. So that's the one that I always say was a bit of a game changer for me, even though I'm so grateful for all of them and I've learned from every show. I think that the Tony win seems fancier, but the process of Ain't Too Proud is is probably the one that I'm most proud of. I'm so glad you raised Ain't Too Proud because I saw it at the Kennedy Center prior to going to New York, I believe it was. If I'm not mistaken, I might be wrong, but I think that that's where – I know I saw it at the Kennedy Center, but um, I don't remember <laughs> the trajectory. But um, I can't tell you how much um, that show moved me. And how wonderful I thought it was the way everything was integrated in terms of telling um, a story about a group of people um, with music and lyrics and dancing and yet also uh, showing, showing a moment in history and sort of encapsulating the era in such a way that I thought was brilliant. So talk to me a bit more then. Let's talk more about Ain't Too Proud because that's my favorite of, of the list on your list too. So um, what was, what was um, the process like? You mentioned how the process really was transformational for you and was really seminal for you in your career. What, what about it made such an impact? So I was first introduced to the show through through a workshop that happened in the city. And I'm also a talent manager in addition to being a producer. Mm. So one of my clients um, 
was in that workshop and is now currently in their Broadway show. And so I really just went to the presentation to support him as his manager. And then this sort of light bulb went off at intermission that says, you need to be a part of the show. And so I actively pursued the producers to, to be a part of it. And remember at that time I had zero Broadway credits. I had actually never even raised money for a show outside of the wild party, which was, you know, two cents that, you know, that I had to raise. So it was a big deal when I finally got the yes and was invited to be on board with the show because it was something that I really pursued aggressively. I think it's the only show that I've done on Broadway that I've actually pursued. And so to, to get the yes was amazing. And then I had to figure out how I was going to raise $250,000, which was not easy. I didn't have the social network that I have now, but I was very blessed to have a, a lot of people in my community that were supportive and that were recommending people to me to make that dream come true. I mean, it's really an amazing achievement. And the show itself is just so, um, it's so deep. Uh, to me, anyway, it was something that I, I, I don't know why I was surprised, but I walked in thinking it was going to be more of a, you know, reviewsical kind of thing. And then I was really hit by how deep it was and how um, it hit on so many different levels. So I'm really, I'm really glad to hear that that was, um, that was your goal from the beginning, it sounds like. So, you know, you went to Morehouse College, a historically black college and university. Do you think that that's influenced at all? Um or how has it, I should say, influenced your thinking, um, if at all, in terms of theater, in terms of representation, in terms of, let's just take the Ain't Too Proud story, a story that a lot of people don't know about um, the history behind The Temptations, um, which is crazy because The Temptations everyone knew, but they didn't know the story. So right. how does that influence sort of when you're looking for work and looking for projects um, like Nina Simone musical, or, or is that, are you trying to find ways to tell these important stories that haven't been told, or is it just another thing that gets to you, the music, or how do you how do you get into that? It's part of my aesthetic for sure. I would say that outside of my family and the way that I was raised, Morehouse is probably like number two in terms of my foundation and mm -hmm. what I learned there and the relationships that I formed and the work ethic that was deepened and all of those things. I think just naturally being a person of color, I'm always going to gravitate towards projects that have a have you know something involved with diversity and or being being a part of that storytelling. Um, but yes, that doesn't mean I won't do other things that that aren't diverse. But I think I'm always going to lean towards that just because of who I am as a person and as a producer. And so when I'm looking for work, it's really about just how it speaks to me, whether whether it's white, black, or purple. But most of the things that I've done have sort of been in that sort of world because it's it's been thought-provoking and a lot of the projects are or have the narrative that start a conversation, which is what I really love. Does that answer your question? Absolutely. No, my, my question was a little out there, but uh, I, I like the way you answered it. And I think that, you know, that's what I was trying to get to when I went to see Ain't, Ain't Too Proud, that I guess as, an, as a, a, you know, not a person of color going to see the show, 
my expectation was that I was just going to be entertained and that I was going to listen to beautiful singing and dancing. And that is my own prejudice because what happened as I was sitting there was I realized these are people, they're human beings and they have a life and all these things. And I just think of them as entertainers. And I didn't see, I didn't see what was behind it. And I didn't see all the social aspects, um, the music industry aspects, all, it's amazing all the different layers that you, that you guys uncovered in this project with, you know, people say, oh, it's just a musical. There are so many layers at this show of different aspects of things going on besides the music. And that's what I think is most interesting. That's what I really love about it is that people come for the music, but really stay for the story mm-hmm. because they don't know everything that they endure to become the best male singing group of all time. And that's the beauty of theater and live entertainment is that it can be really um, groundbreaking and, and transcendent in terms of the way that it connects with an audience. Mm, absolutely. Now, let's talk a bit about, you talked about going to Morehouse um, and how important that was to you. So there are probably um, young people listening in. I have a lot of young listeners on this podcast who might be on that journey and who might be starting their college journey or might be ending their college journey and wondering, what do I do now? Where do I go? Um, So what would you want those young people to know that you wish you had known back then? Um, You know, if there's someone out there who's interested in doing what you do, let's say they're thinking along the lines that you were thinking of, of wanting to produce rather than be on the stage how do they even get started? What would you suggest they do, especially young artists of color? Do you, do you, do you have any advice for them? First and foremost, I would say learn the craft. My freshman year of college, I started reading playbill.com every day. And that's how I learned a lot about the industry, who the players were, and just other various aspects of, of theater. I would also say just sort of know what you want to do or, or just really think about the, the career path and don't be afraid to use your resources around you to ask questions, to be able to network. Maybe you don't know anyone who's in theater, but maybe somebody in your family knows somebody else. So just put your, your, your wants and intentions out there so that you can really learn and grow. You know, for me, I didn't know any producers when I was in college or even in law school. I really didn't start meeting producers until I was in New York. And that was really when I learned what they did, but I still was able to know about theater in general and use that to my advantage with a lot of transferable skills to be able to carve out the career that I have now. And I think that what you said earlier about, you know, being able to understand the business part of show business and being able to come to theater with a business degree or a law degree or or something else besides just having a theater background, I think enriches the experience, not only for you, but for the people that you're working with, because you can come with different perspectives. You can challenge people in a way that's really productive, not to be combative, but to really think outside the box and come from a different perspective. So I think just really learn as much as you can, not only about theater, but about the world in general and about yourself. What do you want to do? What can you bring to the table? What are your strengths? Learning how to 
raise money, for example, is a skill. You know, money and conversations around money can be very uncomfortable for certain people. But I look at it as a, as a business. And there are many people who are dying to get into theater and wanting to invest, and they just don't know how. Mm-hmm. So I think, don't think about it in terms of, oh my God, I'm asking people for money. Is this is this is so uncomfortable? Think about I'm giving somebody an opportunity to pursue a different part of their dream, mm. because a lot of people are, you know, working and happy and, and have their careers, but it's sort of just one one little pocket of life. You know, if they work for a law firm or a Fortune 500 company, it's not always the most exciting thing, even if they love what they do. So to be able to invest in a show and really be able to help art flourish. And then on top of that, maybe get to go to an opening night party or something else is, is really cool. So uh, just think about the skill of it and, and hone that skill and then be able to really help open up doors for other people will we'll make that sort of uncomfortable feeling diminished, I think. Oh, I think that's great advice. And I'm always telling my students, learn the business and learn your craft, but also learn, you know, if all you do is theater all the time, then um, what do you have to act about? What do you have to to write about? What do you have to perform and produce if you only are thinking about theater 24-7? So get socially involved, get involved in a cause, get involved in in other aspects of life. And you're absolutely right. Also, it's interesting... um, to talk a bit about sort of how um, students and other young people are are really into, if you ask someone, if someone says, I really love baseball, they'll be able to tell you every person involved, every player, every record, every team that they care about. But then you ask young people, who's Hal Prince? They don't know. If you ask young people the history of sort of um, anything other than some of the most basic things they don't know. And so I always say to them, learn your craft, learn the business, learn everyone involved, right? And that's what sounds like what you're saying, to, to get to, to know the, the community of people and connect with those people so that you know what's going on behind the scenes as well as, as on the scenes. Absolutely. You're not going to know everything, but you should know the giants. You know, you should know the people who have really been trailblazers to make this industry a different place. And I think that that helps also inform your taste. You know, maybe you don't like classic musicals. Maybe you're more of a contemporary or pop rock type of person, but you won't know until you sort of try everything out. And so that's the beauty. All of all of these shows have been preserved on cast albums for the most part. Some of them have been done regionally. So if you're in Iowa, you never get to go to Broadway, but your local community theater or dinner theater is doing Next to Normal or Carousel, you can go check those out and see um, if you like them. And then New York, most Broadway shows are archived and they live at the Lincoln Center Library. So if you happen to be here on a trip or you're doing research, you can go see those shows and be able to experience them even if you know you missed it in the original production. So there's so many ways to be able to learn about the industry and you just have to figure out like what do you want to learn and how to go about doing that. Great advice. So let's talk a bit about another show. Well, there's two more shows that I definitely want to talk to you about, but one um, because it's sort of having a, a moment right now because of the recent um, revival opening back up with Caroline or Change. Um, 
Another show that isn't, I think a lot of people don't know what to make of it until they're sitting there and, 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 and already in the theater. So that's got to be hard to raise money for and it's got to be hard to, to get people interested to come see it. Um, and it's quite a different musical, uh, Tony Kushner uh, putting it together with, with, with the, the, you know, the people who wrote the, the music as well. Um, it's, it's not your typical musical, is it? It is not. It's really unique. But it's such a beautiful story about relationships and particularly, you know, a young boy who loves the maid who helps raise him. And I think that that's part of my story and raising money for that show is relationships. And that's one thing that I never really factored in when I was starting to raise money for shows I usually thought, okay, if people like the subject matter or maybe who stars in it or maybe if the numbers look right, they'll want to do it. But I never realized that people are also investing in me as a producer and my career. And so the people who were interested in Caroline were people who loved the message of the show but also loved me and wanted me to succeed. And I think that the themes in that show revolving around civil rights and how people get not only get together but um, exist in the same space really resonates with where we are today as a country. Hmm. And I think it's an important show for people to see because it's really a show about people coming together at the end of the day. And Fortunately, this new production has has received rave reviews so far, and um, people audiences are really enjoying it. And it's always been a special show to me. I saw the original on Broadway back in two thousand four, and just fell in love with the score. But I also just love love the story, and I love the characters. Yes, there's a special relationship between the young boy and 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 the the woman that works in his home, and and um, I also love the the relationship between, you know, bringing together Judaism and the African-American experience in one sort of show, which is not something you see uh, in a lot of places. I thought that was really interesting. Um, the Jewish culture mixing in with sort of the, the, the African-American culture. And I found that really, really uh, unique and, and enlightening for me anyway. Um, so, um, Yes, talk a bit about this revival then. What do you think is different in this production from the, as you already mentioned, the very, very well-known original 2004 production? What does the revival bring that's a little bit different, aside from the fact that we're in different times, so obviously there's, there's going to be a different feel. But what, what do you think is different from the, of the, with the revival? I think the revival is a little bit more scaled down, so there's a concentration on a bit more of the storytelling um, the design is completely different from the original. And I think it just is told in a way that amplifies the storytelling. I don't want to say more, but I want to just say in a different way that just allows for the audience to connect to it. Like I remember one particular part for those that haven't seen the show. I, I apologize, but there's a scene after Caroline finds a $20 bill in, in Noah's pocket and Noah becomes very agitated because he wants to get this money back and he actually becomes physical with her, mm. which 
I had never seen that before in the, in the when I saw it on Broadway and I, and I saw it um, actually in DC at the studio theater back in 2006. And that just sort of changed the dynamic of the relationship even more for me. And I thought that was very interesting because that's a big thing for me, like for a child to strike an adult, but not only mm. an adult, a black adult who's a maid. And and I thought that, that was an interesting artistic choice from the director, and it made the what happened after that even even more heartbreaking. So no spoilers. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> well, you you kind of prefaced it so those that w- don't want to hear could could just uh, fast forward if they didn't want to hear any spoilers. But um, yeah, you're absolutely right, and I think every production is different, right? And I think people should should see each each version of a musical a revival. Um, this musical is certainly one that warrants uh, a. a a revival every you know decade or so so it's great that, that that this is happening and for those listening in i hope they get their tickets to go see it now that theater is opening back up so um i wanted to talk a bit about a show that isn't a broadway show yet um or off broadway show yet but that you're working on which is this show about nina simone just because i'm really interested in nina simone and i'm also really interested in in a show about her um, making its way to New York. Um, what? How is the development of that going? Now, in that particular case, you are a bit more involved uh, in the day-to-day production aspects. Is that it? Or are you, are you now taking on more of a, a fundraising um, part only? Or are you doing... What, what, what part are, are, play, are you playing in this? I'm the lead producer of the show, so I'm doing everything oh, wow. right now. Okay. And um, we haven't announced it yet, so I, I can't give you all details, but I will say that I'm in the process of raising money. We just finalized our design team, which I'm really excited about. And I'm, I'm literally doing everything to to get the show up and running after the new year. So we'll call this our pre-production phase. Mm-hmm. And uh, But I'm really excited about it. It's a, it's a really beautiful show that talks about Nina and sheds a light on her story in a way that hasn't been done. I think a lot of people just know her as a singer-songwriter and as an angry black woman, but they Mm. don't know about her activism work, Mm. that she was a a child prodigy, and her her real dream was to be a classical pianist, Mm. and her relationships with her parents and her husband. So it's, it's a really, really juicy story written by the wonderful Leona Michelle who also plays Nina mm. and it's it's so relevant and timely because Nina fought the fight that many people of color are fighting right now in terms of activism and equity diversity and inclusion so I'm so excited to bring the show to New York and and to for the you know really the world to see it after our New York run but it's it's one of those shows that I fell in love with very early when I first met Leona and I've been so honored to be a part of it and to be leading the charge uh, to bring the show to New York. And what, to me, what was so fascinating about Nina Simone, and I'm sure this will be reflected in the work you're doing, uh, is that she wasn't scared to speak out. She wasn't scared to speak up for herself. And because it was such a while ago now, she, she paid the price and, and, and in many ways was, was treated poorly, uh, as were many people back then. But but I feel like had she just played along, quote unquote, she may have had a more successful financially career 
uh, and instead she she opted to you know really genuinely be herself, which I thought was right. really fascinating for that time. Maybe, maybe, but maybe. I don't think she could have just not spoken up, yeah. especially with everything that she endured mm. as an artist, yeah. not getting into school because of the color of her skin, mm-hmm. not being able to be who she truly wanted to be. I think part of that trauma always lived with her. And so she she had no other choice but to speak up, but to be able to be a champion for other people because she, she didn't have all of the advantages that she should have had. Wonderful. Yes. Well, we'll be looking forward to that when we can know more about it next year. I was going to ask you if you have any other exciting projects coming up that you can talk about. Uh, it sounds like this one is is still in produ- in what do you say pre production. So we're we're um, yes we're um, developing. You're developing that, and we'll be excited to see where it lands, and we'll be looking out for it. Um, is the title still Little Girl Blue, the Nina Simone musical? We'll be looking for something like that. <laughs> yes, Little Girl Blue. Okay, great. Is, is the title. So for yes. those listening in, keep an eye out for that and see uh, in the new year uh, when when it happens and when you can go see it. So um, any other exciting projects that you can tell us about that you're working on or are you focusing on this uh, Nina Simone musical for now fully since you're the lead producer? The other project that I'm working on now is uh, The Music Man with Hugh Jackman. I'm the mm. associate producer of that show. Wonderful. Um, we started rehearsals last week and we'll begin performances December 20th. Oh, well, that's wonderful. I did not know that. I should have known that going in. Sorry about that. But um, that's fantastic. And that's a big, definitely <laughs> uh, something that's high profile that people have been waiting a long time uh, to see. And um, I know that during the pandemic, they, they had to move, you know, opening dates back several times due to the pandemic, obviously. But people were really excited uh, to to go see that. And um I'm interviewing a couple of other people that are related, uh, you know, working on that show as well coming up. So that's an exciting um, thing to know. So I hope I, I wish you well in both of those uh, projects. It's going to be um, quite a journey, I think, for both of those. I'll keep you plenty busy in the new year. <laughs> yes, indeed. So before we're almost out of time, Rashad, before we wrap up, I just wanted to know if um, you do social media or if you want if people want to stay updated on these projects and what you're working on, whether it's the Nina Simone musical or any of the other things, uh, where can they go? Is there a, a Instagram page you like to share or not, or a website, or where do you want people to kind of go online if you want them to kind of see what's happening next? I'm very bad at social media, but my Instagram is Rashad V Chambers. Mm-hmm. That's probably the best place and. Also, my company has a website, EsquireEntertainment.com. There will also be updates uh, there from time to time. And hopefully after the new year, I'll be better about updating both of them. (laughs) Well, you're very busy and you've got a lot to do. So it's understandable. So thank you so much, Rashad, for spending time with American Theatre Artists Online today. It was very nice of you to to come and speak to us about this little known aspect of, of theater, which is producing. So thank you. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to the American Theater Artists Online podcast. This episode was edited by Zach Walsh. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider donating to the Actors Fund today. Just go to actorsfund.org and press donate. If you'd like to share your feedback or send us comments, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at American Theatre Artists Online.